Welcome to the Ivy Academy Presents Leadership in Practice, where we discuss critical issues in business, unpack new research, and talk to industry leaders about the latest trends. The Ivy Academy and Ivy Business School are located on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapewak, and Chinunktan nations. This land continues to be home to diverse indigenous peoples, whom we recognize as contemporary stewards of the land and vital contributors of our society. Over the past few months, ChatGPT has put a name to the business disruption we all suspected would come along with artificial intelligence. Seemingly overnight, it's given professionals in knowledge industries a highly valuable tool to accelerate and streamline their work. But it also raised more questions than it can answer. What tasks could potentially be automated and in which industries? How will it change the role of humans in organizations? And how quickly will that change come? In this episode of Leadership in Practice, we're joined by Frederick Odegaard, Assistant Professor of Management Science at Ivy Business School. We explore the impact of ChatGPT, discussing how it's being used in business and what the future of AI-assisted work is likely to bring. This episode is hosted by Brian Benjamin, Executive Director of the Ivy Academy. So, Frederick, it's great to, to have you here. You know, I must admit, I'm going to learn something, I guarantee, through our, our conversation here today. Uh, there's a lot of fascination right now around chat uh, GPT. So I want to start out with, like, what is it really? And, and how does it differ from previous AI applications? Yeah, so uh, I think if you go to just the interface right now, it looks so what I would call unimpressive compared to what the buzz is about. So it sort of looks like a boring Google version because both the colors and stuff like that. So most of us have, I think we're anchored on what Google looks like and you go in and Google is amazing. You type in anything and it will just give you this fact, for instance. But then Google has been able to do other sort of applications like finding the, the best route and so on if you want to drive. And so Google has all these cool applications that you can find. Now the difference is it has this creative aspect of it. So it's not looking up a fact on the internet. So it's not like you're going to say, okay, what's the highest mountain in, in the world? Which, I mean, it will answer that as well, but that's not the, the main point of it. The main point is that it can create new content that isn't, doesn't exist. So it can create a response to any questions that you might have. So you might have a like trivial questions such as come up with a slogan for my company, I'm selling shoes, come up with a good uh, slogan for my shoes and it will creatively come up with like 10 different ideas for you, for instance. And so the, the main point is that it generates creatively new content. It doesn't look up existing facts on the internet. I think that would be the big distinction right now between what it is. So for the layperson, how does how does it do that? Like this feels like a huge step from where we were. I would agree. I would agree. This is definitely a what I call an industrial revolution. We are having an order of magnitude improvement over what previous things were doing. So I I mean, you can call it whatever you want, like AI 1.0 was the old versus this is AI 2.0, this idea that it can creatively come up with, the, with new responses. Now, that, that movement has been gradual, right? So 
we're already a little bit used to if you type in an email or a letter, but a lot of the software will guess what you are going to write. So you end, for instance, an email with uh, best, then it'll come best wishes of, and then like it'll fill in and you can just hit tab and it will auto-populate that. So we've been a little bit moving in that. But this one is completely new. So this one is, it has been trained on existing data and I think up to 2021, I think it uh, was, it might be trained on more. So it has scanned like, you know, Shakespeare's and documents and, and Twitter's and blogs and everything and, and come up with, oh, this is how people interact. This is how people respond to certain things. And then now when you ask it a, a question like, come up with a slogan for my shoe shop, it will then say, okay, well, I have some inspiration from how that has been done before. And then it will, based on this algorithm, give you that response. But it is truly amazing that this, that it's creatively being able to do that rather than just a lookup table. So based on the old models, you know, old AI or old, you know, software, it's a lookup table. It will just look up, okay, what should I respond? Here, let me search it up and then give you that response. This one is able to, as a human, synthesize different ideas and come up with a new and creative response. That is amazing. Yeah, if I may just, so, so there's algorithms underlying this. So it's all algorithmic of how it actually does it. But I, for this conversation, we'll keep it at sort of a non-technical level of what those specific mathematical algorithms look like. And just like at a high level, there was existing information out there, like as I said, Shakespeare and blogs and Twitters, and it can then just mimic its understanding of, of how that has happened in order to a response to a, a query or a question you might have for it. Perfect. I appreciate that. Uh, so everyone's talking about it. Uh, I'm really curious to hear your uh, perspective on implications for the for the workplace and organizations. Like, how is it showing up already? Uh, exactly. I think this is the fascinating part. And I think it sort of got released without any big announcement. And it just all just exploded and took off. And I think we would be surprised how many are actually using it sort of just on the, you know, the back end, like hidden away and not sort of confessing how much they're actually using it. So what it can do is like it can, you know, from the simple things, like it can create a letter for you, like an email response if you got, and you, you need to come up with something creative to say to a client or uh, some employee that you have or your boss, and it can generate a creative re response to you. Amazing. You know, so I'm wondering if it's doing this, and, and, and we probably are seeing it used more than people are willing to admit, what potential limitations are we going to be facing? At present, there is uh, this concept, but it has a hard time to, to distinguish between fact and fiction. And so they call this, it hallucinates. It makes up responses or it'll make up sources. So you might ask, hey, can you give me a, a response to this question from a client? And I want some substantiated uh, papers or references that, that supports this argument. And what they now do, this ChatGPT will just invent sources. So we call this a hallucination rate. And I think they talk that it's around, that it will make up 15 to 20% of it. So those are some of the things you have to keep in mind, but suppose it generates something and it says, oh, uh, Professor Huffenpuff from such a university has already argued the point here, A, B, and C. Well, that professor probably didn't exist and so on. So you have to have some knowledge about, okay, in this domain that I have ex business expertise or area expertise, this doesn't exist. This is made up, but oh, this is actually a legit source uh, but he's responding with. Fair enough. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, sort of about the, the training that, that had gone on um, to get it to the point where it was ready for release. W is there ongoing training happening now? There's new versions coming out. I'm not going to say all the time, but there are generations of uh, ChatGPT. And I think currently we're at number 
three and we just keep getting better and better. And I think one of the sort of ironic part is that there's a lot of people who are critical of ChatGPT. Oh, you know, for instance, this thing about the hallucination rate, that it makes up uh, stories and, and sources. And so it's, oh, it, it can't do this and this. And I'm thinking, give it a break. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is the third generation. This is an amazing piece of technology and it's just going to get better and better. And when I look at other people, like make up things, even though they might not believe it, like we have this whole thing about, you know, fake news and stuff like that. I think that those versions are just going to get better and better and we're going to, you know, get improvement on stuff like the hallucination rates and so on. And it's, and I would say that's even a further testament to how close we're able to mimic human behavior, right? And that's the, the part that people are so astonished about, including myself, that, that the response is so human-like. Right? And, and we're thinking, wow, it, it doesn't come up as, a, as a, just a pure fact uh, that a computer has spit it out, but it, oh, there seems to be some sort of thought process behind it. And it's all algorithmic, right? And it's, it's quite remarkable. Your comment around um, you know, reference letters, as an example, um, what else do you see this being able to either replicate or, or, or maybe completely automate or replace? So I think that's only the limit of our imaginations. I think we can easily think of, for instance, if you're in a marketing department, but it can creatively come up with like 10 slogans that you can test or come up with the different types of campaign that you want to test. If you're in HR or the legal department, it can just automatically create new legal documents for you or new contracts. I mean, if you have an existing, if there's something that you do on a routine basis, like if you're on the legal department and you're selling houses or you're setting up wills, yeah, you can have a template and you can just fill those in. But if you have a legal department and you're constantly having new types of contracts that you're working with, okay, this client wants this and I have to adapt, I have to change these contracts that I can't have a standard a template, hey, chat GPT, you just plug in, here's the, here's the primitives of this contract, or here's what I, the deals I want to make, and it will like draft up that contract immediately. On the technical side, we have like coders, it, you know, this chat GPT can even create code for you. And so you can just tell them, hey, give me the JavaScript for uh, an interface that does this and this, or give me the Python script that analyzes the sales in uh, Southeast Asia for 2022. And so it can just create the code from scratch and say, okay, here you go. Here's, this, here's the code for this application. So I think the applications are just our imagination, like what it can actually do. Are there certain organizations or even industries or sectors that seem to be more prime for benefiting from this or early adopters? Uh, I think the obvious ones are marketing because we think about you know creative aspect coming up with creative things. But as I said also, I think HR and legal and the coding, and I think about that, like all these data scientists that we're training and uh, you, you know, the data analytics stream, which is my background, or my, I'm just wondering, is this gonna be the shortest lived career there is, right? Is, is you know, data scientists, because we'll just be able to replicate that the quickest, right? And the answer I hope is no. I just think that, you know, the data scientists are not going to be using, uh, they're not going to be the ones sitting there doing the code. They're going to come up with the ideas. Okay, here's the code I, I need, and then I can just give it to ChatGPT, give me the code that does this, and then we have a good base, and then they can work from that. So I think this is where it's going to amplify the value added in these three different, like these uh, industries or these examples. So. Yeah, the, the amplification, so it's not necessarily replaced, it, it's, it's freeing up time to do something else. Exactly, exactly. Uh, a natural concern uh, whenever there's a new disruptive technology is is job security and job elimination or mm -hmm. substantive changes. You know, we think about 
fairly recently the introduction of self-checkout and, and what that's done for the role of the cashier. Mm -hmm. uh, do people need to be concerned about this moving forward? I mean, I guess yes and no. So I think certainly some jobs will be completely automated and we won't be hiring for those uh, positions or, or job activities, I should say. But I don't think it's, it's not going to be that we're going to have an exorbitant amount of unemployed executives or leaders or managers out there and, and all these organizations are just going to be self-driving uh, AI algorithms, you know. I still believe that the human aspect of just society in general and business as part of that society is that we add value to the services and products that we provide. And so in terms of job security, no, I think you're just going to have to, again, elevate your value added to the organization. So some of these tasks will be automated, but as a whole, I don't see it as being that, oh, we're going to all of a sudden decimate the workforce that we only need, you know, 25% of the workforce. No, I think we'll still be needing more and more people to do other aspects of the jobs, you know, in, when we pr provide these products and services and so on. So it's more that it will replace tasks, yes. It's not gonna replace roles. It's these roles are going as an employee, these are gonna evolve to different things that you wanna provide to the companies. So if we sort of go down that, that same path and we think about, you know, the role of, of leaders and individuals within organizations that may be using this or, or will use this, um, what are some of the risks? What are some of the obligations? It's one thing for, for this tool to help me. It's another thing for me maybe to rely 100% on it. That's right. I mean, at, this, at present, I think there's two drawbacks or two issues you, you need to have a big reservation about. One is the thing about the hallucination rate. Like you have to be able to audit it. You have to have enough expertise to understand this is true or this is just completely made up. So I think that one is going to be very important. But I think the most important part as we go forward and, and more organizations use it is we need to come to an assessment of who has the accountability. And so if you have someone who has now drafted a, a response to a client and sent that off, and 90% of it was generated by an AI, and then 10% was just like some polishing the signature and so on by this person, who's supposed to be held accountable for this response that went out to a client or an employee or, or anything like that. So that's one very important uh, implication for leaders to think about. How do we assign responsibility across these tasks now? So for many, including myself, um, this kind of took us by storm, right? And so a lot's transpired even in a few short months. Um, thoughts on, on kind of what we can expect next? I think one of the things that they discuss is that in a, at some iterations, the, these algorithms are going to be self-improving. So they're going to be able to just train themselves to become better. So learn on their own mistake, learn on their own uh, hallucinations and so on. And, and just it will just improve on itself. So just like a human person, as you grow and you absorb different experiences and knowledge, you have now better. And I think that's what they say these algorithms are also going to be able to do. It's just sort of self-teach themselves, which it sounds almost like sci-fi, uh, if you ask me. I mean, it's, it, 
it goes so quickly. I mean, just in those two, three months that we've seen, now it goes really quickly, it seems. But before that, it was, we had a gradual little improvement, like, as I said, the auto-filling on Google or the auto-filling your, in your email or, or Word document and so on. Yeah, that notion of, of it training itself and sort of, you know, building momentum from there. So we talked a little earlier about this and this kind of got me back to thinking around sort of the trainings. Help me understand, how does the training work right now like the human component of the training like is it is it one person is it an army of people on the one side so these organizations they have of course a team of data scientists who then tweak these algorithms and the algorithms are then that they they will read take in inputs and the input is everything that's basically on the internet so everything from as we said the shakespeare sonnets to code so it takes that as an input and then there is these algorithms, these mathematical algorithms who can then encode all that information until what would be an appropriate response? What would be the best response to this type of questions, right? And so this learning is just that as more input comes in, as it picks up different types of discussions online or different types of, of uh, code provided and so on, it can then say, oh, okay, here's a new question that it asked. I got asked and now I will respond with this one. So it's very similar to how humans work. It's just from experience. Just as, as more input comes into you and you sometimes make mistakes, sometimes you don't, and then you move on from there. And that's what these algorithms can do is like figure out Okay, this was a good response. This was a bad response. Let's move in this direction. And fascinating. I, I so leaders today, you know, have so much coming at them from from all directions. The reality is, is is this is here and it's here to stay and it's gonna only evolve. How do leaders need to evolve themselves in terms of their thinking and uh, and, and appreciation? And I'm thinking uh, of the leaders, which are probably the vast majority that are maybe a little apprehensive of a tool like this yeah. and don't understand how it works. So yeah. What's your advice for them? Well, first of all, I think yeah, you definitely uh, don't try to fight it because that's going to be an, an end battle you won't win. You do need to, in some ways, embrace it. And I think just start by experimentally with it and then let your own creativity figure out what are the value added activities I do in a daily basis in my work and how can I now elevate that if I can sort of outsource writing these letters, coming up with these slogans, writing this piece of code or, or whatever. And so as leaders, again, there's certain activities you do in a daily basis that are probably what we could call routine and that you, you know, don't really would be great if you could sort of free up your time and then you can focus more on the value added side and, and how is it that this company can thrive and what's the competitive advantage of my organization versus the market and can I then try and enhance those. So that, that would be sort of my broad general, but I mean each, it will be context dependent and I don't think that's, there's not one right answer for each, each leader, so. So how could this technology drive changes in organizations? I'm thinking from a, from a structure standpoint, how organizations sort of organize themselves, you know, talent development, training, um, leadership. Yeah, I think in one sense that I see now is that I think it's gonna make uh, organizations a lot more flat. So if you have silos of different departments right now, I think what this ChatGPT, like an AI uh, algorithms can do is, for instance, let an accounting department uh, come up with marketing slogans or let an accounting department uh, do some data analytics on its own rather than having a data analytics department team come in and do that. I, and I think 
what you'll be able to see is that each department will be able to do more, you know, cross departmental activities and like, you know, not necessarily have to be exactly in your little silo that you will be much more fluent across different things, just enabled by the fact that you can ask these AI machines to take over particular tasks such as, you know, marketing, legal contract, coding, you know, operational ordering, inventory, and so, and so on. I see it as that it will enable all the departments to lean on and, and use their other areas expertise within their own department. That would be one application or in, uh, implication I, I see of, of uh, ChatGPT. Interesting, right? So that is a big structural implication. And I even think about talent development in, in terms of sometimes talent thinking about, well, I'm part of the marketing department right. or the sales department. Yeah. Um, probably needing to think, well, I'm part of the organization and maybe yep. we work more closely together. Um, something we, we've been trying to do for years and years, and I probably always will do, is, is what are going to be the in-demand skills? Like, where are things going? So if we think about AI and, and as organizations look to integrate AI, like ChatGPT, a little bit more into their operations, are there certain skills that you see increasing in demand as a result? Well, I think uh, basically for each type of fun, you know, functional department, whether it's accounting or marketing operations or finance or legal, or HR, or my favorite one, analytics, of course. <laughs> I think we're just going to, everybody's going to elevate their understanding and their knowledge and, and their value added in that specific field. So I don't think that, you know, it will remove sort of a need to do these routine tasks and each organization will instead be able to just enhance what is it that we in the marketing department add value to. And so, so that, I think that's going to be that's going to be, the, 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 in my sense, the, the most biggest benefit of this uh, innovation here. I really like that sort of perspective on it. It's not necessarily deep skills residing with a select few people. It's yeah. actually capability that could rest with everyone yeah. to some extent in the organization. Exactly. And I think it's not just like, I mean, there's a big push, of course, and it's my favorite, the analytics and coding and so on. But no, I think even... Having a, if you're in the marketing to understand more, how does the markets work? Which, how does our clients respond to our products? What does the competitive landscape look like in terms of what products and services we're launching? If you're in the legal department, okay, what are the legal ramifications of these new contracts that I have to do? And, and so you focus on your expertise, and this is a tool to help you add more value in that expertise. So. Well, that's a great way of thinking about it, tasks versus roles. And so maybe my role is made up of 10 tasks today, Three tasks get to, to sort of come off because yeah. uh, AI can support them. Yeah. Uh, and it gives me an opportunity to take on three, maybe higher value added. Yeah, probably not three, probably five, or maybe 10 more. And that's the thing that it will open up that window of what is it, what's the value added that I, I provide to this organization and as, as, as a business, right? So. All right, bring it on. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Leadership in Practice. We'd like to thank our guest, Frederick Odegaard. Leadership in Practice is produced by Melissa Welsh, Joanna Shepard, and me, Sean Acklin Grant. Editing and audio mix by Carol Eugene Park. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe. You can also find more information by visiting ivyacademy.com or follow us on social media at Ivy Academy for more content, upcoming events, and programs. We hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you.